You know, it's really not unusual for someone at this time of the year to lament just how busy they are, how busy it is at Christmas time, and they'll often go on to say uh, that they can't wait for all of it to be all over with. Uh, There is so much hustle and bustle, and our schedules are so busy, and there's so much expense that it's really no surprise when people say that they're tired of it all. And yet most of us here, I think, most of us, bear all of that added activity and the increased demands which Christmas brings rather well. In fact, I believe that most of us enjoy it. At least, I hope we do. I hope you're not tired of it all yet. Now, I think the reason that we can enjoy it is we know the truth behind the holiday. You see, for us who know Christ, it's not just a time of giving and receiving gifts. It's not just a time to be away from our work. It's not just a holiday. For us here, it's a holy day, a day when we remember the birth of our Savior. And one of the ways in which we can keep it a holy day is to tell the Christmas story. Now, of course, there are many stories uh, uh, about Christmas and many others that are associated with this time of the year, but there's only one Christmas story, the incarnation, when God took on human flesh that he might take our sins away. And for us who want to keep it a holy day, we have we have the joy of all the other stories along with that Christmas story. When we when we hear the Christmas story, say from Luke chapter 2, we not only get to hear the glory of the passage itself, but we can have those sugar plums dancing in our heads, and we can see that mouse that uh, was not stirring in the quiet house on Christmas Eve. The thing that keeps all of that fresh for us is that we see our Lord Jesus Christ behind it all. And for us, uh, for the believer who wants to keep the Christ in Christmas, we, we really do face a kind of a different problem. And that is we become too familiar with the story. And sometimes we miss the real drama and the real power that occurs there, which is part of that first ever Christmas. In spite of that familiarity to us, the Christmas story really is full of the intensity of life. And so this morning, I'd like to look at it again, uh, at one specific part of that story. And I I hope that maybe we can see just a little bit more uh, in the story than maybe we've ever seen before. And so I want to ask you to join me, if you would, please, in Matthew chapter 1, where our scripture reading comes from, the first book in the New Testament, uh, Matthew chapter 1. And that yellow paper that they passed out, those verses are also on it, and you can follow along. Normally we have them on the screens, but the screens are covered. So this morning we're going to look at the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph, who was the legal father of Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, it's really my belief that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, knew Joseph, and maybe they were even friends. I mean, Luke, uh, the writer of the gospel, by his name, knew Mary, and we know that because he tells us as much in his gospel. But Matthew knows Joseph's side of the story, and he knows what Joseph was thinking at that time, and he knows really intimate details about his relationship 
with Mary. And so our story this morning begins with Matthew telling us about a dilemma that Joseph was facing. And we read about that dilemma in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, you and I know the child Mary was carrying was of the Holy Spirit. We know it from the text here, and we know it because the story is familiar to us. But Joseph didn't know that. (laughs) Think about what that must have meant to him for a moment. He was engaged to this girl, Mary, and, uh, and he expected to wed her. And we know that the love was already developing between them. See, engagement in Israel was a, was a time that meant a whole lot more to people in that day and age than it does us. It was a, a binding contract, and that's why our Bible here says that he was pledged to be married, or if you remember the old King James said he was betrothed to her. It was a binding time. It was a, a commitment that led up to marriage, and you could only get out of it by death or by divorce. And so this girl he's pledged to wed is pregnant. And Joseph knows one thing for sure. He is not the father. The text says that he found out that she was pregnant. She was found to be pregnant. In other words, though Joseph had no reason to suspect it, he discovered she was. (laughs) Mary hadn't told him. He made the discovery himself, and he actually made that discovery just about the same time as many other people did. So Luke, in his gospel, really, um, he, he, he adds an interesting piece of information that uh, adds to the drama here. You see, he tells us that as soon as Mary had been told about this pregnancy uh, by the angel, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her so that what was conceived in her would be the Son of God, after hearing all of that... Um, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, uh, the woman who was to be the mother of John the Baptist. And she was gone for three months. And when she arrived back home, she was obviously showing. Anyone could look at her at that time and tell. Now that's Joseph's dilemma, right? I mean, he's pledged to marry a girl who was pregnant by someone else, and she hadn't told him. So what What was he supposed to do? Well, what would you do if you were in that situation? And ladies, if if, uh, Joseph were your son or your brother, what would you tell him to do at that point? So at that time in culture, Joseph had really just a few options that were open to him. Actually, he had three choices um, that were before him. The first option was that he, he could marry the girl. And if he did that, that would make him, in the eyes of the law, the legal father of Mary's baby and give that child all the rights that would come with it. Now, he could do that, and people might think him a fool, but it was an option that he had. Now, if he decided against marriage, he had two other possible choices, both involving divorce. He could divorce the woman he was pledged to, wed in one of two ways. He could uh, publicly divorce her, or he could privately do it. 
So a private divorce was accomplished by stating three times to the girl before two witnesses what he was going to do. All Joseph had to do was to say to Mary between, before two other people, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and the deed was done. Now, of course, it, it couldn't be kept a secret. I mean, everyone would know that Joseph didn't marry the girl, and they would know that she was pregnant. And most people, of course, would conclude that Joseph was not the father of the child. But it was, it was private in the sense that it, it did not involve the legal system. And that was the other way that he could divorce her. I mean, he could have used the legal system. He could have gone before the elders of the town, and he could have made an, a public accusation of adultery. Now, at one time in Israel, that would have resulted in the death penalty for Mary. Mary. Um, Israel no longer practiced that. I mean, the Romans had not allowed them to put anyone to death. They reserved that particular right for their own selves. But it would have meant that Mary would have been uh, exposed to a greater public shame and ridicule and the official censorship of the culture. See, that private divorce would spare Mary much of that humiliation. So what should Joseph do? I mean, what would you do in that situation? What, what would you do given those options of marriage, a public divorce, or a private divorce if the woman you were wed to and legally, you were already her husband, was discovered to be pregnant, and you knew you weren't the father. What would you tell your son or your brother to do? I have to tell you, I know what many people would do um, in their anger and in their hurt. They would bring all the humiliation to their betrothed that they could. They, I mean, they would feel that slap in their face, and they would want to hit back as hard as they could. But that's not what Joseph responded. That's not what he did. Verse 19 tells us what he intended to do because of this. And he tells us why he had those intentions. So we read there, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her, that's Mary, to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph decided to quietly divorce her and spare her as much as he could And that all by itself, I have to tell you, says a great deal about that man. Now, the NIV here says that he was uh, faithful to the law. And they say it that way, I think, um, because they're really trying to indicate the legal options that Joseph had. But the Greek actually simply reads he was a righteous man. And so if you and I were telling that story to someone, we would probably say something like this. We'd say, Joseph was a really good guy. See, he arrived at the decision that he did because he was a righteous man. And just to be sure we all understand what's being said here, I want to clear up any uh, misunderstandings about what the Bible means when it talks about righteousness. I know many people hear that word and it simply leaves them cold. Uh, They think of a person that's holier than thou or who's always ready to tell you just how bad you are and how good they are. They think about a person who's quick to kick someone who's down and who doesn't understand the weakness of his fellow human being. In fact, they think of a person who was not like Joseph at all. See, the truth is that they're thinking 
uh, about not a righteous man, but a self-righteous man. Uh, the person they th- they're thinking of would would have sued for public divorce. He would want to cause as much humiliation and injury as possible. And it's plain to see, if you're willing to look at it, that uh, uh, such a person doesn't have to be religious at all. You understand that, don't you? There are many, many self-righteous people in the world, people who think they are always right and never wrong, who have never darkened the doorway of a church. But Joseph wasn't self-righteous. He was righteous. He was a good man. And in its simplest definition, Joseph's righteousness meant that he wanted to be right with God. And righteousness means that. It means being right with God. And part of that means to love your neighbor as yourself. So righteous people really are compassionate people. They care for others. And really they grieve over the evil things that they do. So here we have this man, Joseph, this righteous man, and he's compassionate. And and in the midst of his own hurt, he grieved over what apparently Mary had done. He decided he was going to divorce her quietly in order to um, spare her all that he could. That was the decision of that righteous man. And, And I really do, I want you to understand something here. That was not the only decision a righteous man could have made I mean he could have married her he could have claimed the child of his own giving him the legal right that would have come with that and he wouldn't have been the first person to have ever done that either I mean others have done that they they have acted righteously when they loved and married a woman and the woman had been unfaithful to them and I think only by a really powerful love could you do that. But I'll tell you what you wouldn't do. What you wouldn't do is you wouldn't marry someone like that if they were not sorry for what they had done, if they were not repentant. You do that, and then you're not acting righteously. You're just being foolish. And you see, in Joseph's mind, Mary wasn't admitting what she had done. Instead, she's claiming that God was the cause of it all. Now, the text doesn't say so, but it seems to me it doesn't have to say that uh, because it's so obvious. Mary, too, was a good person, and everyone knew she was with child. So what happened? (laughs) They'd want to know that, wouldn't they? They'd ask her, were you violated? Or in a moment of weakness, did you sin? Mary certainly wasn't going to admit that she had been unfaithful when she wasn't. She knew what she had been told, and she knew she couldn't keep it a secret either. She knew that God was at work. But Joseph must have thought, how in the world can I marry someone who won't admit to their mistake? He's a righteous man, and and Mary's story left him no choice but to, to simply divorce her, even if he'd do it quietly. Yet, he would not cause her any more sorrow than she had apparently brought on herself. Again, he would do so quietly. And what guided him in the midst of all of those emotions that that he must have had? What do you think it was? You think about that sense of betrayal and the shock and and the disbelief in the story that she was telling and and the insult he must have felt at that story. What guided him 
to act righteously in the midst of all of that and not lash out in anger and vengeance. Well, whether he would have stated it this way or not, Joseph lived by a principle, and that principle was aim to be right with God, and you will always be on target. And so Joseph wanted to be right with God. And if Mary had confessed to some act of indiscretion, then maybe he would have married her anyway, but she didn't. Instead, she's telling the truth, and to him it sounded like nonsense. So he felt he had no recourse. He felt he would have to divorce her. He'd not give in to his emotions. He would deny himself that. He, he sought only to be right with God. And from where he stood, the only way he could do that was to divorce Mary, but quietly. Joseph lived by the principle, aim to be right with God, and you will always be on target. But, you know, being on target doesn't mean things that always go the way you want them to. They apparently weren't going right for Joseph. That doesn't mean that you won't have to make choices that hurt. And the very choice of righteousness that you might bring might bring pain to you. You see, it's not your target, but it's God's. You may not even know there's a target to aim at at all, but if you strive to be right with God, he'll make sure that you are always moving in the right direction. He'll lead you so that your aim will be sure. You'll be part of his purposes in this life. And in the long run, that's a grander and much more satisfying thing than any target of our own choosing that God's not a part of. Aim Aim to be right with God, and you'll always be on target. Now, let me see if maybe I can, um, well, maybe give you some idea of what this means. Uh, Imagine that God has placed you on a really high mountain as an observer, and that God himself, in order to teach you, has become a giant of a man, larger than any giant in any story you've ever read. And he becomes this giant, and he's walking through his own snow-covered fields. And he knows those fields really well. I mean, they're his. They, they belong to him. And he knows the bumps, and he knows the turns. He knows the dead ends and, and the dangers. And he's striding through that field, Uh, with a purpose, and he's accomplishing his will as he cuts his path through the deep snow. Now imagine that there are people out there in the field with God. He's this giant, and we're just little people out there, right? And we don't know the fields, and we can't see very far. And as you look down from that mountaintop, you can see many people who have set out on their own path. They're going their own direction, and some of them walk into deeper and deeper snow until they're covered and they can't go any further, and and some of them never come back again. And some of them, you see, are about to walk over the edge of a great cliff, and then every once in a while, another one, Walker, he falls into some deep pit that was hidden by drifting snow. And there are dangers that you can't see either. There are the wild animals and there are robbers. And as you're watching, you realize that you can hear the little people and what they're saying as they make their way through the field. Many of them are arguing and many of them think they know the right way to go, but you can see it's not so. From your place where you're standing, you can see this. It might look right to them, but that look won't lead them home. The path is a cheat, or it's a a dead end, or even worse. 
And as you're listening, you also hear the giant calling in a loud voice, Come to me. Walk with me. With me, you're safe. Even if you die, you're safe. Only my purposes will stand, and only they will lead you home. And you notice that many people are walking with God. They're doing his bidding. They're accomplishing his purposes. But they, they can only do it while they walk with him. And they can't see all there is to see. They can't always understand what it is he's doing. Though from your place high up on the mountain, you can see it all and you know it all. Yet as long as they walk with him, they're right. They're on target. And if they wander away from him, they may come to a bad end unless they turn and come back to him. You see, that's what aiming to be right with God is like. It's, it's trusting him to guide you and to make a way for you. It's trusting him to choose the target. It's trusting him with all that you don't understand. It's recognizing that you cannot, you simply cannot know all there is to know in any given situation. So you will trust him to know it for you. It means trusting him to make sure that you're on the right target. So Joseph's aim was not to name the target, but to be right with God. And if he were, he knew he would always be on target. Now I have to tell you, I know what many of you are thinking right now, right? You're thinking, uh, but Joseph's not on target. I mean, Joseph is going to divorce Mary. Mary has not done anything wrong. In fact, she was the kind of woman that God could use to accomplish his purposes. She's one of those who was walking with God through that snow-covered field. And we read this, and we think Joseph is really about to miss the target. I have to tell you, no, he wasn't wrong. He was on target for the amount of information he had from what he knew he was doing what was right. And that's the way it is with us in this life. God does not tell us beforehand all that he is going to do in our life. We don't have a schedule of events. Instead, we have to walk with him. We have to trust him to guide us. And so Mary's the kind of woman God could use, and Joseph was the kind of man God could use, and both of them are aiming to be right with God. And so here, it's God's responsibility to give Joseph the information he needs so he could use him to accomplish his purpose. God doesn't tell him ahead of time, but he tells him in time, and he tells him what he needs to know. Verses 20 and 21. But after he had considered this idea of divorcing Mary quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was coming into the world. He was the Son of God, and he was of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's task was to um, be there for Jesus. Jesus' task was to save his people from their sins, but Joseph's task was different. And it was important to God's purpose for sending Jesus. So God had said all of this ahead of time. 
I mean, he, he had told people that he was going to do such a thing. Most people didn't understand it. But once God acted, uh, there it was in the Scripture right before them. And so verses 22 and 23 tell us that all of this was predicted in the Old Testament. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So verse 21 tells us what Jesus would do. He would save his people from their sins. Verse 23 tells us who he is. He's God with us. God born of a virgin in order to save his people from sins. And that's why we have a Christmas story. Jesus' task was the important one, but God allowed righteous people to have a part in it. And so Joseph aimed to be right with God because he knew if he were, he would always be on target. So what would a righteous man like Joseph do now? Well, verses 24 and 25 tell us, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. See, doing what God said, characterized his life he took Mary home as his wife it wasn't easy it meant he had to endure the whispers and the ridicule that came with taking such a woman into his home suddenly to be his wife Mary was showing soon a child would be born to her there would be the suspicion that Joseph wasn't the father but Joseph was willing to endure all of that because his aim was to be right with God, and that kept him on target. And he gave her baby the name he was told to give him. He named him Jesus. And almost certainly in that day, the right to name the child lay with the father, even in this case, if it was the legal father. But Joseph simply obeyed. He named him Jesus. You know, three other times in the scriptures we're told, the next chapter, that God tells Joseph to do something, and he does it immediately. First, he tells him to flee Israel because Herod's going to try to kill his son and then he tells him to go back to Israel when um, when Herod was gone and the threat was gone and then he finally tells him not to go and live in Bethlehem where they had begun to make themselves a life after the census and the birth but to go back to Nazareth back to that place where they were originally from and everyone knew their story you see his aim To be right with God always kept him on target. And Joseph had a part of bringing about the blessings that we know at this time of the year. He was part of bringing about the Christmas spirit. I have to tell you, God is moving in history. He he is not silent. He spoke the worlds into existence, and he continues to speak today. And wherever we are in our own particular path, if we find God, if we get in step with him, we can't help but be going the right way. We can't help but make the right terms and bring blessings to those who are around us. It really is only when we insist on going our own ways that we stray from God's appointments in our life. You know, this story 
begins here in Matthew and Luke. It still goes on today, and it goes on in two ways. Well, it goes on first off because that birth in Bethlehem, that baby was wrapped in strips of linen, which is how they buried people in that day. Jesus was born to die, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on that cross, and he was put on that t- in that tomb, and his body became as cold as the stone that it was laying on. And then three days later, <laughs> that stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in so we could see the tomb is empty. And he appeared for 40 days to his people, and he is in heaven now waiting for that day when he will return. So the story's not over. It's continuing. And one day Christ will come back. And all I can say is I hope that you're ready. And the other way it's going on is every time someone hears and understands for the first time what God meant in Jesus Christ. It's new. And there's a new birth. And a life has changed forever. And you and I We have a part in that. We know the story. And we can tell it to others. Christmas comes but once a year. But Christ lives in your heart and mine forever. And the gospel is to go out to all the world. And if it's to go, it's you and I that are going to have to take it. So, when you leave here, have a good time. When Christmas comes, eat all the turkey, eat all the ham, eat the goose, whatever it is you guys have. Give the presents, sing the songs, Visit with family. Enjoy it all. But remember, Christ lives in you if you belong to him. And you can tell others they need to hear. Merry Christmas to all of you. Could I close this in prayer? Father, thank you for the Christmas story and how it continues in our day and how it reached so many of our hearts here today. And Lord, if there's someone that is here today that has never yet trusted you, trusted Christ and what he did on that cross, it is my prayer, Lord, that you would draw that person to yourself and that they would know the joy that we know, a joy that will never end because you love us so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.